0: when I was in high school, uh, I was tasked with with reading a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? Uh, a few of you. Uh, in my high school, it was a public high school and it was uh, it was a Christian book, but it was required reading. It was looked upon as sort of a classic. And uh, I don't think I read it. I think I actually read the footnotes <laughs> but uh, uh, I, but 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 later I picked it up and and read through the book. It's a really good book and um, as I was uh, reading for uh, Nehemiah 4 this morning, I was reminded of a story in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, the theme of the book is it's an allegory, and there's this guy named Christian, and he has a friend named Hope, and they're going down the road of life, uh, you know, and they're, they're, they want to get to the celestial city, and so they're Christians, they're traveling, making progress, pilgrims making progress down the road of life to go to heaven, and uh, they're facing obstacles uh, as they go about their way. And there's one obstacle uh, that they get to. It's called uh, Doubting Castle. Uh, Christian and his friend Hope, they fall asleep in a meadow outside of Doubting Castle. And they're captured by two villainous giants. Uh, One of them's name is uh, Giant Despair. And he's married to his wife, Self-Doubt. And they're trapped in Doubting Castle. And so Giant Despair throws them in the dungeon. And uh, Despair, every day, goes down to Christian and Hope. And just verbally abuses them. You're no good. You're awful. What are you doing here? You'll never get out. And so they're paralyzed in this, ju- this dungeon. And they, they, they no longer make progress. And the point is this. That there's nothing that will stop your progress as a Christian more than discouragement. Despair, self-doubt will stop your building in God's work. And so this morning, uh, that's what we're going to look at in chapter 4. We're going to see how uh, the Jews were discouraged in their building. They faced doubt and despair and discouragement. And it threatened to stop the work that God was about here in Jerusalem. And so uh, we we begin here in chapter 4. And I want to just point out that chapter 4 comes right after chapter 3. Which I know is a, a very deep insight. But in chapter three, the people of God, they're making progress. They have momentum. uh, They're all working together. The walls are being built. They're about halfway through. Things are going swimmingly for the Jews. And in chapter four, right as things are are going well, right as things are at their peak, suddenly they face discouragement. And it comes out of the voice of two characters, the voices of two characters named uh, Sanballat and uh, Tobiah. Uh, Two shady characters here in Nehemiah, and they show up in chapter 2, they show up in chapter 3, and they're angry and they're upset that God's people are making progress in building Jerusalem. They're enemies of God. But it's not until chapter 4 that they begin to open their mouths to discourage God's people. And as soon as we build, as soon as we say we will rise up and build and do God's work, uh, we will face opposition. Uh, discouragement and opposition are normative in the Christian life. And I know oftentimes we don't think this. You know, there, there are many of us who are almost embarrassed if we're discouraged. You know, you're sad and you, you go to church and somebody asks you how you're doing and what do you say? I'm blessed. Everything's great. You know, it's almost like we're embarrassed that we're discouraged. But I want to normalize it. Uh, discouragement for those of you who are, who are working in God's kingdom is very normal. Uh, it was uh, John uh, John Stott who said this, the Christian's chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. And so he says, look, this is normal for the Christian life. Depression, discouragement, it's normal for those who are working for Christ. Uh, it was even Billy Graham, you know, the b- great preacher who said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to bed and in- I have to go to God and pr- go to bed, go to God in prayer, I'm tired, uh, with tears in my eyes, and I say, oh, God, forgive me, help me. This is Billy Graham saying, I often face discouragement, tears, and I have to go to God and say, help me. You know, and so, uh, you know, oftentimes, and maybe it's the, the, the songs we sing as Christians, you know, there's that great hymn, uh, At the Cross, where I first saw the light, uh, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I, uh, that I received my sight. And what was the last line? And Then I was happy all the day. You know, almost like as soon as you become a Christian, it's like you're happy. you're supposed to be happy all the day. And so you get discouraged. You get down and you think, well, something's wrong with me. And maybe you go to a friend and you tell them, you confess, man, I'm discouraged. And they immediately say, oh, you're discouraged? What's wrong with you? You know? You're not happy all the day? Have you prayed in faith, confessed all known sin, claimed the promises? Have you rebuked the devil? Have you pleaded the blood? Have you thanked God for all your many blessings? Almost as if something is wrong with you if you're down. But here the people of God are discouraged. Uh, Billy Graham got discouraged, and it is normal. It's actually a good sign. If you are making progress, you will be opposed. You'll be discouraged. But although discouragement is normal and maybe even a good sign, it is also lethal to your work as a Christian. There is nothing that will paralyze you faster than discouragement. There there is nothing that will put you in a dungeon, in a prison of despair, faster than discouragement. There is nothing that will hinder your progress uh, quicker than discouragement. So we need to learn how to fight against it, right? It's normal, but it's lethal. And so what do we do when we inevitably face Sanballat and Tobiah? What do we do when we get discouraged? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want us to see uh, two things in the story that we're going to look at. Uh, Number one, we're going to look at the sound of discouragement. I want us to listen, and I want us to pay attention and hear the sound of discouragement, what it sounds like when you are being discouraged. And then second of all, we're going to swing around, and we're going to ask uh, how do we silence that sound? How do you silence the sound of discouragement? So, so what, what does it sound like when it comes, and how do you silence it uh, when it comes? And so first we'll look at the sound of discouragement. And it's important to recognize the sound of it, because there are many of us in this room this morning that you are discouraged and you don't even know it. Uh, you're you're being berated, you're, maybe you're in despair, and you don't even realize it. You're you're sunk in this pit, in this mire, almost this cloud, and you want to stop. You want to give in the towel, and you don't even recognize that it's happening to you. And sometimes that's the way dis, uh, discouragement is. It's like you're swimming in it. It's the air you breathe. It's like asking a fish about water, and the fish says, what's water? You know, you're in it. And so it's hard to recognize it. And so we're going to look at what it sounds like when it hits you. And so uh, let's look at verse 1 in chapter 4. Sanballat and Tobiah begin to hurl insults at God's people. And it says Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of of the armies in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it to themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes. And what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, up on it he will break down the, their, down their stone wall, and we'll stop there. And so uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, these d- b- discouragers of God's people, they, sa- they stand up, and they begin to hurl insults. And what does it sound like? What are the the things that they're saying? Because this is what discouragement sounds like. Well, number one, it sounds like self-doubt. Notice the first thing they do is they begin to put their finger on the weaknesses of the Jews, of God's people. He says, look at these feeble Jews. Look at these weak Jews. Look how lame they are. Look how weak they are. And that's the first thing discouragement will do. It will focus you on yourself. It'll say, look at you. Look how weak you are. Look how feeble you are. Look how lame you are. Look what a failure, failure you are. And it will focus your attention upon you. Now, what they're saying is sort of true about the Jews. The Jews are a feeble people, especially now. Uh, the Jews were a people in exile. They're away from their home. They're broken down. They are. And they've been that way ever since the very beginning. God said, I chose you because you were less than all the peoples. I mean, it is sort of true that the Jews are feeble. But it's a half-truth. And and Sanballat and Tobiah, what they're doing is they're focusing their attention upon their weakness, upon their failures, upon their frailty. They're they're putting self-doubt in their minds, and that's what discouragement will always do. It'll focus you upon you. You know, uh, Martin Luther said, The essence of sin is the heart curved in on itself. And what discouragement tries to do is get you to turn in on yourself, morbid introspection. Looking at you, what about me? Poor me. Look how lame I am. Look how bad I am. Look what a failure I am. It focuses you, it focuses you on you. Uh, a few years back, I was looking for a job. And, and when, you, when I was looking for a job, a lot of uh, churches were asking for uh, personality profiles. And so I took the DISC personality test. I took the Enneagram. Anybody heard of the Enneagram? I took uh, the Myers-Briggs test. And I discovered that the more of these tests I took, the more discouraged I got. Because inevitably, uh, you know, I would read through all of my my pluses. You know, here's your personality, and this is what's good about you, but this is what's wrong about you. I'd always focus on the last, what's wrong with me. You know, you're lame. Nobody likes you. And uh, you'll never do anything right. And I, always, I would fill out the, the thing for the job, and I'd start thinking, why am I applying for this job? I should never apply for this job. I could never do this job. I've got the wrong personality. But this is what discouragement does. It focuses you upon you. And you know, there's a time to focus on your faults and your sins. There's a time for repentance. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance as you look at your own brokenness. But there's a morbid introspection. There there is an excessive looking at yourself that leads to discouragement, that makes you just want to give up, that makes you think, you know, I'm too much of a failure. I'll never make it. I'll never be good enough. I'm such a failure. And this is what's happening to the Jews. He says, You're so feeble. Why are you even trying to do this? You'll never get it done. And so Sambali gets them thinking about them, but then he notice what else he does. It not only sounds like discouragement or uh, self doubt; it also sounds like despair. Because look what he does here. He says, "Look at these feeble Jews," and he jeered at them. And then he says, "Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Talking about building the walls and building the temple. Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish?" And burned ones at that. The second thing they do is they begin to bring the Jews into despair. This is the other thing that discouragement sounds like. It sounds like despair. And usually, what happens is it's when you're in the middle of a project. It always comes in the middle. You know, whenever you're 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 in the middle of a project, and there's you you kind of have gotten certain ways into certain ways into it, but there's so much more to be done. Or maybe when you're in middle age, you've gone so far, and you, you're, you've gotten to this age, but there's still many, many more years left. That's when discouragement comes. Or maybe when you're, you're halfway uh, into a, uh, you know, some tragic event in your life, and you're right in the middle. Discouragement comes in the middle. Discouragement comes when there's still rubble ahead of you. And this is what it does. It comes to you, and it says, look at this problem that you've got. It's so big. You'll never get through it. There's so much more to be done. Look at all the rubble. They point out all the rubble. Look, they're piled and piled and piled on one another. There is no way you're ever going to get through this. And they begin to magnify the rubble. They begin to make their their problems, their tasks, look insurmountable. And this is what discouragement does. Uh, It says uh, you'll never get through. It's way too hard. In Pilgrim's Progress, you remember the giant despair and, and his wife, self-doubt. Notice they're giants. They're big, and this is what despair does. It magnifies all of your issues. It magnifies all of your problems. It makes things way bigger than they are. A therapist calls this catastrophizing. You look at your life, and you catastrophize everything, and you've got one problem, and then you add another problem and another problem until they're piling up like rubble, and discouragement says you'll never get through that. It's way too hard. You may as well give up. You, and, it, and it dims the light at the end of the tunnel. And so uh, that's what, what it does. It focuses you not only on your self-discouragement does, but also upon your circumstances, all the rubble, all the things in your life. It dims the light at the end of the tunnel. But notice it also focuses on the work they've already done. And this is where Tobias uh, stands up and says something. So far, it's only been Sandballad, and I kind of picture uh, Sandballad and Tobias as like uh, two goofy characters in a comedy, uh, you know. And Sandballad is the is the smart one, and he's you know he's really uh, he's he's looking at their weaknesses, and he's got really good arguments. And to- Tobias is not the uh, sharpest tool in the shed, and so he sees Tobias uh, Sandball, and he's like, "Yeah, get him, yeah," and he wants to say something. And so he stands up and he says, and, uh, and you know what? Uh, your work is so bad that if a fox got up on the wall, he'd knock it down. You know, and he looks around and Sinball it's like, oh, Tobias, what's wrong with you? But what is uh, Tobias trying to do? He's, he's trying to uh, say, look at the work you've already done. It's shoddy work. You've actually never do- you haven't done anything good yet. If a fox got up on that wall you were building, he'd knock it down. And that's what discouragement does. It points you back to the work that you've already done, and it tries to diminish it. You know, if your marriage is in trouble, it'll say, your marriage has always been in trouble. You've never been good at this. If you're doing bad at parenting, it'll say, yeah, you've never been a good parent. Your kids aren't turning out well. If you're involved in some sort of work in God's kingdom, if you've never done it right, you've never done anything good, it'll cause you to look back on all of your accomplishments, all the things that you have done, and it will denigrate what you've done. I was reading a biography on Soren Kierkegaard, and he's a famous philosopher. Written pages of famous philosophy, and uh, scholars study Kierkegaard in universities and things like that. But during Soren Kierkegaard's life, everybody thought what he was doing was lame. He never became a professor, his work was always criticized, he died in poverty. And in his life, his stuff really never was recognized. But it was really good. He thought it was really bad. And here we are, you know, hundreds of years later, 100 years later, still reading his stuff. And it's true of so many famous people, you know, famous painters, famous composers, they look at what they've done and they think it's not very good. And discouragement will make you look at the things that you've done and say, say, it's not very good. I've never never I haven't really done anything well. And it'll denigrate the work that you've already accomplished. And so this is the sound of discouragement. Have you heard it? Are you swimming in it right now? You gotta be careful because this will paralyze you in your work. It will stop your building. Now, and, and again, these are all half-truths, you know, they're, they're part of the truth. This is why they're so effective. Discouragement will come to you. It'll tell you part of the truth, but not all of the truth. And notice there are always questions, you know, throwing, hurling questions at you, snarky, cynical questions, getting you to doubt yourself, getting you to doubt God, getting you to doubt your work. And before we move on, I want you to also see the source that it's coming from. It's coming from, obviously, Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies of God. But notice the discouragement also has an internal source. It's coming from the inside. If you go down later in chapter 4, after uh, the Jews have already been berated by God's enemies, notice the Jews themselves start to discourage each other. Uh, Let's just look in verse 10. In Judah, Judah is a Jewish uh, place, in Judah, it was said the strength of those who bear the burden is falling, is failing. There is too much rubble, and by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So they're discouraging themselves. And then, then in verse twelve, and at this time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, "You must return to us. You know, stop, stop building. You got to give up. Just come on home." And so. The discouragement is coming from the outside, from the enemies of God's people, but it's also coming from the inside. Friends, family, their own people. And what does this tell us? It tells us we need to be very careful with who we're spending time with. If you live listening always to discouragement and to criticism and to the stories of failure, disruption, and denigration, that will be all that fills your mind. Be careful in whose company you spend time If you are prone to discouragement, don't live among people who always traffic in discouraging news. When you hang around people who are negative, you will catch the bug. The man or woman who has jaundice eventually sees everything in yellow. You say, but I'm married to somebody like that. (laughs) You know, the other day, my wife and I, we were both sick. And I got up and said, oh, my back. And she got up and said, oh, my head. And then I went to the kitchen and said, oh, there's so much to do. And she said, oh, I'm I'm just so tired. And it was like this circle of discouragement over and over again. Be careful what you're listening to. And if you're in that cycle of discouragement right now, you need to listen to my next point. And I'm going to get to it right now. Uh, So what do you do when you're hearing the sound of discouragement? What do you do when, when Sanballat and Tobiah and even the Jews, your friends, your family, are just filling you with the sounds of, of self-doubt and despair and denigration? What do you do? Well, you need to learn how to silence the sound of discouragement. And that's what we see in chapter 4. Because what they do is the Jews, they, they, they hear this, uh, this discouraging voice, but they don't let it stop their work. They don't let it discourage them. They keep on going. They keep on working despite the discouragement. And how do they do that? Well, they learned how to silence the sound of discouragement. Now, you're never going to completely silence the sound. Uh, you're going to hear discouragement until probably you finish your journey in this life. But you can make the voices get quieter. You could drown out the noise. So how do you do that? I want to point you to three things they did. Number one, they prayed. You'll notice here, right after Sanballat and uh, Tobiah hurl their insults, in verse 4, notice immediately what they do. Right after Tobiah begins speaking, or ends speaking, in verse 4, they say, Hear, O our God, we are despised. Turn back their, their taunt and their, on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you in anger." in the presence of the builders. What is the first thing they do? Is They be, they begin to pray. They begin to talk to God about their discouragement. And it's almost abrupt. You know, here, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, they say all these negative things to them, and you're almost expecting them to say negative things back. You know, no, I'm, no, I'm not, yes, you are, no, I'm not, yes, you are, you know, almost a back and forth side of thing, But they don't do that. Or you might even expect them to talk to one another about their discouragement. Oh, my back. Oh, my head. Oh, this circle kind of talking to each other. But they don't do that either. As soon as they hear the discouraging sound, they talk to God about their discouragement. They bring it directly to God. And that's the first thing you need to do when you're discouraged. You need to pray it to God. Pray your discouragement. Empty your discouragement into the ear of your heavenly Father. Uh, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Uh, the one of the Psalms says, pour out your heart before him. The Bible says that God is a wonderful counselor. And there's something about voicing your discouragement that is, uh, that's so comforting, right? It's almost, I don't have any scientific evidence for this, but almost psychologically it's helpful just to let your discouragement out. And this is why I'm always telling Anita, my back hurts, my back hurts, my back hurts. It's helpful just to pour it out to somebody. But listen, your wife gets tired of that. God never does. In fact, when you look at the the prayer book in the Bible, the Psalms, it's always telling you to pour out your complaints to God. The Psalms are a bunch of prayers about David complaining to God. God, here's my complaint. God, here's my complaint. God, here's my complaint. It's an example. This is what you do. You don't stuff your discouragement. You don't spread it around everywhere. You bring it directly to God. You pour out your heart before Him. You pray your discouragement. You talk to God about what's bothering you. I was uh, watching. There was a little uh, clip on the internet uh, that I saw this past week, and it was a famous comedian. Maybe you've seen this. He was on Conan O'Brien, and he was talking about like he was in. He was, I was in my car and I was so discouraged, and I just there was this despair that fell into my heart, and I was just so melancholy. And he said, the first thing that came to my mind to do was to pick up my iPhone. And he says, this is what we do in our culture. He says, whenever you're discouraged, whenever you're in despair, one of the first things you do is you pick up social media, and you numb your pain. He said, I was in my car, and now, he said, now I realize where everybody's texting and driving. He said, I wanted to text like 15 of my friends. But then he says, you know what I did? I put down my phone and I pulled over on the side of the road and I just started to weep. And he says, there is something cathartic about that. Don't stuff your discouragement. Don't even numb it with social media. Talk to God about what's bothering you. And they do this multiple times. They pray this long prayer and then they get back to work again on the wall and then it says or they get discouraged again, and then it says, and then we prayed to, to God again, and we set protection on the wall day and night. And so they're constantly throwing up these discouraging prayers to God, and God's listening. And that's the first thing we need to do. So pray your discouragement. And then second of all, notice what they do is they begin to remind themselves about what's true in verse 14. It says, I looked and I rose and, I, and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, this is Nehemiah, And he says, do not be afraid of them, speaking of Tobias and Sanballat, but remember the Lord, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. So what's the second thing you do is you remember God. First thing you do is you talk to God about your discouragement. The second thing you do is you talk to your discouragement about God. You remind yourself of who God is and what God has done. And, he, and, and Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who's great and he's awesome. God is way bigger than these walls. God's way bigger than the rubble. God's way bigger than your feebleness. God's way bigger than your failures. God is so big. Remember that. Uh, in my old church, there was this little Indonesian man who used to lead worship. And he led worship on a ukulele, if you could imagine that. And he only knew one song. But everybody loved it when he got up because he sang this song that went like this. And I'll try to sing it like him. My God is so big. That's Middle Eastern. That's not Indonesian. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Strum, strum, on his ukulele. And I loved it. He was reminding us of the Lord who is great and awesome. And there's nothing that will put perspective on your problems than remembering how big God is. Remember the Lord. And the Jewish people were always doing this. You remember God parted the, the Red Sea, and what did they do? They piled up stones of remembrance. God did this. And then God parted the Jordan for them to go into the promised land. What did they do? They piled up stones. Remember this. And they put up stones and monuments of remembrance to remember what God has done. Don't forget God. When you're faced with discouragement, remind your discouragement of who God is. Talk to yourself. Say, self, God is big. There's a great quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's super long, but I'm going to read it because it's so worth it. This is what he said. This is a little advice he gave to people who are discouraged. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you, and they bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. So notice he says, look, you're talking to yourself all the time. What are you telling yourself? Are you listening to yourself? And then he goes on. He says, "Now this man's treatment, this is Psalm uh, 42, um, and this is not in the quote up there, but um, let me just move on. And he says, um, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. I love that. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why are you downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed and happy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God and who God is and what God what God is, and that what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, End on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you're listening to yourself too much. We usually tell ourselves discouraging things. He says, stop listening to yourself and begin to talk to yourself. And what do you say to yourself? You remind yourself of who God is. And you remind yourself of what God has done. And you tell yourself about the gospel. If God before me, who could be against me? And you put little post-it notes around your house. And you begin to tell yourself the truth. And this is why Bible reading and church attendance is so important, because it pushes the gospel glasses back up on your nose, and you're reminded of what's true again. And so they remind themselves of God. That's the second thing you need to do with discouragement. Talk to your discouragement about God. And then finally, what's the final thing they do? And then I'll stop. The final thing they did is they fought. And this is one of the main images of Nehemiah. In verse 14, uh, they reminded themselves of the Lord who is great and awesome. And then finally it says, he said, And fight, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. What's the final thing they did to their discouragement? They fought it. And Nehemiah says, look, don't listen to Sanballat and don't listen to Tobiah. There's too much at stake. He says, if you get discouraged and you stop building, it's not just you that you're hurting, it's everybody around you. And so he says, fight. And don't just fight for you, fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your children. Get up and fight because there's so much at stake. Fight for others if you need to. Maybe you're not willing to fight for yourself. Maybe you're going to wallow in self pity, but fight for your spouse and fight for your kids and fight for those around you and fight for the cause of the kingdom of God. Fight, he says. Don't just lay down and, and wilt. We have need of endurance, he says. Fight the good fight, and you battle that discouragement, and you continue to build. And this image in Nehemiah of them building the wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Working and fighting. Building and sword fighting. And this is what it takes to move forward in the Christian life. Great story of a a man who was lost in the snow and uh, it was snowing heavily, and he was out in the woods, and he lost his way. And he walked and walked and walked, and he couldn't find his way out of the the woods. And he finally realized, I'm going to die. I'm just going to freeze to death. And so in despair and in self-doubt, he sat at the base of a tree to die. And as he sat there at the base of the tree, he looked up, and he saw a big lump of snow in front of him. And as he pulled the lump up, you know the lump of snow there was a child underneath who was still alive and suddenly he he summoned up the strength to keep going because he needed to save the child but the child on his back began walking and walking and walking until he finally made it out of the woods and nehemiah says fight don't just fight for yourself fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters your wives and your homes we say, well, how do I get the courage to fight for others? It's by realizing that God has fought for you. In fact, uh, Nehemiah even says that in the text here. He says in verse 20, in the place where you bear, hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and he says, God will fight for us. Listen, do you know that God did fight discouragement for you? He's the greater Nehemiah who came into the world and he faced mocking, and, and he was berated, he was condemned to die. He faced the greater Sanballat and Tobias, sin and death. And he was nailed to a cross, and he was hurled into despair, and he did it for you. And the Bible says that he who did this work for you will complete the work that he started in you. God will fight for you. So get up and fight, and fight for others, because Jesus Christ fought for you, and he will fight for you. And he will be with you, he'll go before you, he'll go behind you, he will enable you, he will encourage you to face uh, discouragement. And so, uh, the sound of discouragement, and how to silence the sound. Let's do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, chapter 4 of Nehemiah. I'm so grateful for chapter 4 Nehemiah, and uh, you teach us, Lord, that the very moment we say we will rise up and build, and before we, the very moment we decide to uh, do something uh, well worth doing, there will always be a sand ballot, there will always be a Tobiah. Discouraging us, opposing us, hurling half-truths at us. And Lord, if there's anybody in that place this morning, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of who you are for them. Lord, that it pleases you to do great works through feeble people. And Lord, you will build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we pray that you would enable us, encourage us, strengthen us to build. Lord, help us to fight in the face of discouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.